Today is the first Sunday in Advent. And I'm going to take, in the next three weeks, we're going to uh, look in Hebrews chapter 1. We're also going to go into 8, 9, and we'll go into 10 on Boxing Day. Um, but we're going to read the first uh, four verses of Hebrews chapter 1 that I clearly didn't format and send over right. My apologies. Let me read it for you. If you've got your Bibles, uh, you're more than welcome to open her on your phone. Hebrews chapter 1, and we're reading from verses 1 to 4. And it's entitled, The Supremacy of God's Son. And it reads, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his words. And making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. A couple of weeks ago. Victoria and I were on holiday, we went to Mull, and if you want a really quiet holiday, go to Mull in November, because nothing's open, and there's nobody there. Um, So we we booked this lodge that promised wonderful views that looked out over the sea, and as seems to be with the islands, I think the the website was from the 80s, so you couldn't really tell if the views were, go back a picture, thank you, Um, we... Yeah, we couldn't quite tell uh, what it was going to look like. So we, we set off from here to Oban and find a couple of hour journey, no problem. And of course, as happens frequently, the boat was cancelled. So we had to take our two hour drive up to Loch Allen where you've got to take that little boat for like a minute and a half to get over so you don't have to go to Fort William. That was fun. And we got there eventually. Um, we got to that port about three hours late. And I guess the race was on um, to get there before it got dark. So we got to the island, we were staying down the bottom of the island, so we had an hour's drive. So we drove and we got there. And this was the sensational view that was promised to us. This, back again please. Thank you. This was the sensational view that I was greeted with because we hadn't made it before dark. And I was excited to see it. I was excited just to sit and just to drink copious amounts of coffee, sitting in front of the most glorious of views. And this was my view. Not yet. I had to wait. I had to wait until morning so that I could see the view. And when morning came, this was the view. Oh man, it did my soul good just to wake up and look at that out the window every morning. It was stunning. It was breathtaking. There was a pair of binoculars and I was watching the lobster guys put in their things in and out and it was quite cool. And trying to drink coffee whilst also stopping Benji from grabbing and pulling everything that was possibly there. But everything became a little bit better when I got to look at this view. And I guess it got me thinking a little bit about this first Advent Sunday. Because like our journey, the Old Testament too is a journey. And from us looking in, it's a little bit of a dysfunctional journey. It's even more dysfunctional than a journey from Hamilton to Mull. But the Old Testament is an exciting journey over huge periods of time. 
And it's, of course, a journey that's main star is a faithful God that keeps his promises to his people. And we come to the end of that journey in the Old Testament, um, in Malachi chapter 4. And it kind of leaves us in a bit of a strange place. And then that's it. It just stops. And for the best part of 400 years, that's it. Silence. God doesn't seem to be saying a huge amount. And you know, just as this website promised me wonderful views, so too does the Old Testament promise us what's going to come, promises us this beautiful and this wonderful Messiah time and time and time again. But where is he? Where is the supposed king of Israel in the middle of 400 years? of silence where is this mighty king this ruler where is the one who's going to set the captives free and give his life as a ransom for many where is he you see i had to wait a few hours to see something beautiful but the people waited and waited And of course, that Messiah, after all that time, came from the place that nobody expected it to come from. Because that silence was broken with a baby. And who was that baby? That baby's name was Jesus. And he was the Messiah. What I want to look at in the next three weeks is how does God redeem us? We refer to Jesus as our mediator. But what does that mean? And what on earth has it got to do with the Christmas story? And we're going to look at these three titles. These three, we call them offices of Jesus. Prophet, priest, and king. In Latin, it's called the munis triplex. Which I thought was quite cool. I know no Latin, but I think it's quite cool. Not as complex as spatial inaugurated eschatology that David Wiley brought to us a few weeks ago. Um, but there's a term for today, munis triplex. And it, it's a word, a phrase that goes way back. We find it in the early centuries from Eusebius. We find that uh, it was a favourite of John Calvin's of the Reformation as well. And we find it written here uh, in the Baptist Confession of Faith in the late 1600s. And it reads this. It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, according to the covenant made between them both to be mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest, and king. And this morning we're going to look at the first of those. We read in the beginning of Hebrews there, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. You see, prophets were spokespeople, spokesmen for God. They would take a message from God and they would relate it and they would give it to the people. They were normally pretty unpopular amongst the people. And there were many prophets raised up. The likes of Elijah, Jeremiah, Moses, Isaiah, loads of prophets. But this baby that we come to at the Christmas story would be remarkably different to the rest of those prophets. Because, you know, there's a sense for us in which we cannot truly know God unless God speaks to us. Because we are finite, we are created, and we are so much infinitely smaller than the God 
of the universe. And our sin has got in the way and amongst all of that as well. It's got in the way of us seeing who God is and what he is doing in this world. And what that means is that for us to know God, he must intentionally and specifically speak to us. And in the Old Testament, God spoke through the men that he rose up as prophets. And throughout the ages, God would raise up prophets that would speak words of instruction, of warning, of comfort and encouragement. And none of those were greater than Moses. On a Tuesday night at the minute, we are four weeks into our study in Exodus. And it's just been really exciting. We've just got to the Passover as we read of all that God is doing in and through Moses in the nation of Egypt to set his people free. Because, of course, God saved his people from slavery. He parted the Red Sea. He fed the nation with bread from heaven. He delivered the Ten Commandments and he delivered the rest of the Old Testament law. But Moses makes one of the first messianic prophecies, the prophecy of the one who was to come. And this is it here we find in Deuteronomy 18.15. He says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Way back. Way, way back. There is one who will come that you will listen to. And interestingly, in Deuteronomy 34, eh, we haven't seen him yet. Because, Moses, eh, because it says, But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. You see, so by the end of the life of Moses, we hadn't yet seen this prophet. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years pass. And still there wasn't a prophet like Moses. There was a lot of prophets. Isaiah, Ezekiel, all the rest of them. But there was still this sense of looking forward to the prophet who would come and would be like Moses. And even at the time of Jesus, John the Baptist is asked, when he starts speaking, are you that prophet? To which in John the Baptist style he just says, no. John was not him. And then we come to this man, Jesus. This man that arrives and begins to open his mouth and began to teach in a way that nobody had ever taught before. Because, of course, the prophets used to speak, thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. Because they spoke on behalf of God. But Jesus didn't do that. Because Jesus just said it. He said it amazingly as if he was God. And we start finding it. This is some of the reaction we start seeing as Jesus starts speaking as if he's God. In Matthew 7, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. We read in John 6, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. God had done incredible things through Moses. Like parting the Red Sea and raining food from heaven. But then Jesus arrives and he doesn't just part a sea, he walks on top of it. And the wind and the waves obey him. And he multiplies food to feed thousands. And naturally people begin to wonder if this could be the prophet that was promised by Moses. 
And Jesus declares his voice in John 7, 16. He says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Jesus is the great prophet because he speaks with a finality and an authority that no other before him has spoken with. It's an authority that nobody else would dare speak with. How was Jesus different? He was different because all the other prophets admitted that they were merely human who had this message from God for their followers. But Jesus declares, I, am the, I and the Father are one. Secondly, in verse 2 we read, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You know, when we look straight into the sun, its brilliance just blinds us. But the, the, the light that comes from it, the radiance that comes from the sun, helps us to see everything that is around us. But it does more than that. It helps us to live and it sustains us. And of course, the sunlight also radiates heat. And it warms the earth each day. And it gives us the light that the plants need, eh, that we need to grow food and to sustain ourselves. And interestingly, we can't separate the light and the heat that comes from the sun. They come together. And similarly, we can't separate Jesus, the Son of God, from God himself. Because the sun is the radiance of God's glory. You just think about it for a minute. That in Jesus, the glory of God came to dwell among us. He took on flesh and became one of us. And if that wasn't humble enough, he humbled himself even more to the point of death, death on a cross where he would pay the price for our sins. And again, the radiance of the glory of the Son of God radiated as he rose again. Jesus is radiant. Do you know, if we were to kick the sun at the center of the universe, it wouldn't just be chaos, but it'd be death. Life would be utterly unsustainable, and so it is with Jesus. If Jesus is not the center for us, we perish. But the supremely radiant Jesus has spoken, and he has made a way. From this point on, there is no need for earthly prophets because the one who has spoken with all authority in heaven and earth is here. And in all his glory, he had a mission to complete that he did. And as we read in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, even the eyewitnesses begin to claim that they have seen the glory of God. And that can only mean that the whole ministry of Jesus shows the glory of God. Because everything that he did was glorious. From his birth to his teaching to everything that he did, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all of it is glorious. And if that wasn't enough, he's also the exact imprint of his nature. 
Interestingly, this translates to the word character, which is a tool that is used for engraving. And the character is an impression or a represent, it's not, sorry, just a representation or a copy or an imitation, but rather it is an exact reproduction. And it is exact in likeness. Because by definition, even a representation or a reproduction isn't the same as the original, but it's, it's like a copy. But Jesus is the exact imprint of God. How do we see this? We see this because he spoke so clearly and with authority. Because to see Christ is to see what the Father is like. And thirdly, we see in his ability, he upholds the universe by the power of his words. Eh, by the word of his power, sorry. Just read that for a second and let that soak in. Moses was a wonderful leader. He was a faithful servant and he saw tremendous things. He saw the exodus of a million plus people but he didn't come anywhere close to upholding the universe. God's upholding of the universe is not static. The sun doesn't carry some dead weight upon his shoulders merely supporting it for the sake of it. But the idea of upholding conveys to us activity and progress. The sun is constantly uplifting the universe. Jesus is active. And in upholding the universe, Jesus is doing something. He is carrying the cosmos and everything in it towards the destiny that he intends for it. And of course, we see this explained in Colossians chapter 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I mentioned a few months ago, when I was preaching the three um, symbols that we use with our teenagers, um, an exclamation mark, a question mark, and our application arrow, uh, as we look at scripture, as we like them to pull things out, ask questions, and also apply. And today I've got an application arrow that comes straight from this. And that is the Jesus that upholds the all things also upholds you. God of all creation upholds you. You were created through him and for him. He is before you and he holds you together. And what that means is that if you are anxious or if you are scared, if you are angry or if you are alone or feeling vulnerable or ill or struggling or depressed, your Savior can and will uphold you. Because the Lord is good to his people. 
In all generations, he has gone to great lengths to communicate to humanity that he desires to draw us near to him. He couldn't do it any more so than sending his son. He wouldn't do it if he didn't care. He wouldn't do it if he didn't love us deeply and intimately. He invites us to trust him. He encourages us to walk with him. He pleads with us to follow him. And he reminds us continually of his presence with us. Do you know, if nothing else this morning, just consider in awe that the God that upholds the cosmos cares about you and loves you to the point that we come to Christmas and he sent his one and only son. The other thing that, that strikes me about this by the word of his power, is that in uplifting, in upholding the universe, it is effortless for God. And this just, this just captivates me because it's not difficult. I mean, I can hardly get my dog to sit and stay by the power of my word. And God upholds the entirety of everything that has ever and does and will ever exist. Because without him, without his word, the universe would cease to exist. Doesn't that bring such comfort to your soul? That the one who creates and sustains all things took on flesh, came into this world as a baby, taught, was hated, crucified, to rescue you from the sin that you are destined to perish to. Hallelujah. Do you know, if we truly believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that we read in Hebrews 13, and if we believe that he upholds the universe by the power of his words, and if we believe that in him all things hold together, how on earth does this happen when he was crying in a manger or when he was in a, as a toddler or when he couldn't read and write? How? How on earth did the son as a baby uphold the universe? Because he was fully God and fully man. And he emptied himself. He veiled. He didn't uh, get rid of. He didn't put off. But he veiled. The divine attributes of God and came as a man, as a baby. And you know, God is big enough to be God and man at the same time. I don't think I'm ever going to wrap my head around it. But he is big enough and powerful enough to do that. He's big enough to submit himself to death, but yet he is too powerful to be mastered by it. So what does all of this mean? You see, as a prophet, Jesus pronounced an end to all of our sin. Because as mouthpieces, the prophets would speak words of um, 
They speak words of indictment. They would speak words of warning against the people for their sins against God. And, the, and they would call them to repentance. They would say, turn your backs on the things that you were doing and turn to God. And the prophet would announce forgiveness and the pardon of God. But Jesus, as the final and the sufficient prophet, has done all of these for us. Because he didn't just come to proclaim the word of God. He is the word of God. And he came to rescue us because of our sin. He came to proclaim our need to repent and believe in him. And he proclaimed our pardon and forgiveness of that sin. I'm uh, just getting back into the routine of kids TV. And, uh, my goodness, aren't most kids' TV adverts absolutely rubbish? Just toy after toy trying to compete for kids' attention. And this maybe makes me Scrooge, but I'm sure I'll be a great dad. But it's just nonsense bits of plastic that cost loads and loads of money. But at Christmas, as, as TV adverts compete for children's attention, so too does Christmas have many competing voices for us, many tensions, things we should do, things we could do, things that we're told to want and how Christmas should look. And also in this age of globalism and the internet, we live where everybody thinks their opinion matters. We live in a world where everybody has their own version of truth. That everywhere we turn, there are people who want to be heard and think they should be heard. And in amongst all of that loudness and all of those voices and that busyness is that voice that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not just a message for Christmas. It's a message for all year, all time that let us first listen to that prophetic and that authoritative voice that speaks truth that no one can stand against. And that brings us just to this closing point. Because Jesus is the great prophet, we should rest in the gospel completely. Do you know, if Jesus is the greatest prophet and the ultimate revelation of God is revealed to us, we cannot and we should not move beyond Jesus Christ and his gospel. Commenting on the implication of the prophetic office, John Calvin said it is unlawful to go beyond the simplicity of the gospel. How complicated do we make church? How complicated do we make following Jesus? But Jesus is the climax of God's revelation to his people. And he is the center of the gospel. And that gospel is based on his death and his miraculous resurrection. And then this glorious exaltation that sees him rise and ascend to heaven. And this gospel is essential for us. It is essential for us for salvation and our ongoing journey as Christians, the journey of sanctification. Therefore, we cannot and dare not move past the gospel or beyond the gospel once we are saved. 
Tim Keller said, because the gospel is endlessly rich, it can handle the burden of being the one main thing of a church. For that reason, we must read the gospel. We must dwell in the gospel. And we must marinate in the gospel. And all of scripture points towards it. Because the message is very simple. Outside of Jesus, there is nothing worth knowing. This means that we must constantly look to him in the ways that he has revealed himself to us in his word and the scriptures. We have no need to go beyond Jesus or beyond the scriptures. Because the in-scripture word reveals the word that became flesh in all his beauty. The one that radiates the glory of God. Do you know, if you're here this morning or if you're watching online and you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I ask you to consider this this morning. That there is no place in anywhere in this world that you will find rest for your soul than in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he has spoken and there is nothing that can compete with his voice. And he has done it. He has paid the price. It is finished. So that you don't have to. Let's pray. God, we just worship your majesty this morning. We... We worship you for sending your son as a helpless baby into this world to be the unblemished and the spotless sacrifice that was required for our sin. We thank you that we will never comprehend how great the love you have for us is. And we thank you that in upholding the universe, you too uphold us. We thank you that the cross is big enough, that you are big enough to take whatever we give you. God, would we be people that continually bring the things that burden us, our baggage before you and lay it down at the foot of the cross? Would we ask for forgiveness and renewal? Will the Spirit refresh us, we pray. Amen.